Hey folks, if you follow the show or you've read the book, you've probably heard of Seneca Leaders, a unique one-day experience that helps people transform mindsets and shape new behaviors. I'm so proud to host and facilitate these sessions alongside my co-authors and colleagues, and I would really love for you to come and join us. Learn more about it by visiting SenecaLeaders.com. And now, on with the show. I think you can be generous and still be wildly profitable. And, and that's what we're going for um, in terms of you can run a profitable business and still have generosity at its core. I don't think they have to, um, I don't think you have to choose between one or the other. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about businesses, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders might shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and as always, I'm here to have conversations and hear stories from real people around real business and real life. And my guest today is Sarah Fontenot. And after starting her career as a CPA at PricewaterhouseCoopers, she is now a certified financial planner at Arcos and specializes in helping families thrive across generations. She's married to her husband, Ryan, and just recently welcomed her son, Abel, in September. Sarah, you're a first-time parent, so I know how crazy life can be for you right now. So I really appreciate you taking the time to join and talk today. Well, thanks for having me. We have a, a six-month-old who's officially sleeping through the night. So oh my <laughs> I feel like a new woman. <laughs> Congratulations. That's a milestone for sure. Yep. Yep. Glad to glad to hear you're getting some rest. Um, but for the audience sake, I always like to start at a per very personal level. Sure. And if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your story, your version of your story, if you will, um, mm -hmm. that really leads up to what you're passionate about today. What brought you here? Yeah. Um, well, I thanks again for having me, Jeff. And I love the name of the podcast, Love is a Business Strategy, um, because my passion point is really the transformation of families. And, uh, you know, we're in the wealth management circle. I work for Arcos as you, Global Advisors, as you said. Um, and so we have a lot of really close communication with the families that we serve uh, across the spectrum because your money touches all areas of your life. Um, so this really goes back to childhood, really. There's two, I guess, defining moments, if you will, that I think put me on a path to where I am today. Um, the first was uh, I grew up in the church uh, as a believer, and I always heard about our church would send missionaries all over the world to go tell people about Jesus. And I remember thinking as like an eight or 10 year old, man, what about corporate America? You know, who's bringing the love of Jesus and their faith into the workplace? And what does that look like um, to bring the gospel, if you will, to corporate America. And I don't know why, I was kind of young to be thinking that, yeah, but I just thought I, <laughs> I just thought it was strange that we were sending missionaries to China, Asia, and Africa and not sending people to America. Cause I thought America's dying. And again, I, I was pretty young to be thinking those things, but it, it's stuck with me. Um, and then I think the other piece is I grew up playing team sports, love team sports, and just this idea of being a part of a high capacity team where you're building something that's bigger than anybody else on the team. And you can't get there unless everybody is running their hardest, bringing their best and collaborating. And that's what I really found when I made my way um, to Arcos uh, Global Advisors. You know, we started six years ago, was it now? In April of 2017, I came about six months after launch and 
uh, it was, we call it a 25 year startup in the making because, and we started with a book at Morgan Stanley. Our principal, Jeff Thomas was there, uh, grew up on Wall Street, if you will, for 25 years and realized there's a better way of serving these families. Wealth management is notorious for being about sales uh, and being very transactional and product pushing. And uh, while I claim to be your advisor, I'm just trying to get a little more juice on the back end for my personal uh, bottom line. And uh, what we learned is that these families, they really do crave good advice. They crave to be treated uh, with respect, but also to have this very intimate part of their lives, their finances, uh, to be handled with care. And uh, what we found is the investments in the strategy, are they matter a lot. But if we can work with these families to talk about their family and the legacy that they're living, um, it brings not just a lot of value, but I think what should be standard practice for our industry. And so when we got started, that was really my role was what are we going to offer on this family and legacy piece? How are we going to really serve families um, in a way that's scalable? You know, our vision is to be one of the top 10 on Wall Street, which is a very big, holy, audacious goal. We're, <laughs> we're a pinprick uh, compared to the Goldman Sachs right now. But with a God-sized vision, um, you, you can have a lot of fun creating and a lot of room for growth. And so what does it look like to scale um, with, for these families? And then where do we end and other people begin? And how do we price it and make it profitable and yet move from from the transactional space to the transformational space with these families. Um, so that's kind of how I landed where I am today. That's awesome. And, you know, there's so many different angles. I, I wanted to take this conversation, but I think the two that, that really draw my curiosity revolve around the, the culture itself within your organization, being somewhat of a startup with these large goals, how mm-hmm. love, plays into that in in real ways and real tangible ways Mm -hmm. and also talking about this mission itself where in terms of when you're working in finance which as you mentioned and as i cover often on this show (laughs) is is often considered kind of the opposite end of Mm -hmm. of love when it comes to business it's it's the greed as a business strategy for the most part Mm -hmm. so um i'd like to start with the latter one if you don't mind sure when, when you think of love in finance and specifically, you know, you're working in wealth management, all these things, mm-hmm. what's the differentiator? How do you, how do you differentiate between the greed and the love when you have to work with the money itself? Yeah, I think the easiest inroad and the easiest crossroad for a lot of advisors from Here's your performance, your portfolio, how we're making you grow money to the more, um, I guess, intimate conversations, if you will. That bridge a lot of times is generosity. And so I think generosity becomes the bridge where you can have some more in-depth conversations because um, when, you know, our target market really is generous business owners and those people who have created outsized wealth, but they also want to multiply it for more than just their own personal use. And so when you begin to have the generosity conversation, um, you know, my favorite definition of love is to lay down your life, right? And so it costs you something. Um, And that's why I love generosity. When you think about love and finance, um, it costs you something to be generous, very tangibly, right? Because if you're moving 
money to charity or to, you know, to give it away, it can no longer serve your personal purposes. Um, and so we find that um, it just lends itself to then some more robust conversations about your values, about why you're giving, where you're giving. And then that creates also a model for the next generation when they see um, their parents or grandparents giving money away versus accumulating it for security or for their own pleasure. Um, it lends itself to gratitude um, and to a, really a greater sense of confidence and joy. And we see a lot of our investors who are generous, a lot of times they make better investment decisions because they take the role of a steward rather than an owner. And they see these resources as something that they've been entrusted with to multiply, grow, and use for a bigger purpose beyond themselves. Um, so it actually lends itself to, I think, generating uh, more profitable returns in the long run. So how does that conversation go? Like if people come to you with all their wealth and all their money yeah. and and they, they kind of know where you're coming from, I guess, if they're coming to your door, mm -hmm. is it, helping them understand specifically how to be generous with their money? Is it more in the relationship building with them or all of the above or walk me through that a little bit? Yeah. So we were really big on, we want to meet people where they're at, right? So some people come and they are already on fire. They have their own foundation. We have donor advised fund. They're already funneling money. They just want to, you know, 5X that or be more intentional. And so the conversations with them are really one of two ways. One is, can we be smarter about the giving? And so I, I don't want to get too technical, but um, giving cash is what I think people are familiar with, but there's, if you want to multiply your giving, you give stock, you give a piece of your company, you give these illiquid, you give a piece of your real estate before you sell it. So there's a lot of strategies on how to give um, smarter to multiply your giving dollars. And so um, that's sometimes a conversation. So on the technical side, if people are already prone to giving, then a lot of times it's giving them permission. There's a great book called Gospel Patrons, but it's, it's giving people permission to take, um, I'm not going to try and use a gun analogy because I don't know my guns well enough. A sniper approach uh, where they're giving with what they care most about versus just kind of scattering going, well, everyone has asked me, I'll just give to anything and everything because I don't really, uh, everything is important. Um, but it's really having that values conversation. What matters most to that client? What really, what were they put on the earth to do and what are they passionate about? And then giving them permission to go all in with their giving there. So that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end, um, if they're really not open to generosity. They've never considered it before. A lot of times we just use, um, the the tax door and so hey your favorite charity is going to become the irs unless you want to put your money elsewhere so if there's any causes that you care about if there's um any organizations that you want to support let's go ahead and have a conversation about how you can do that with the assets you've been given and just convert some of those tax dollars to giving dollars unless you want your you know want the irs to be your the biggest charity on your book <laughs> that makes sense yeah so i guess shifting gears i mean most of our listeners aren't going to be sitting on piles of cash or mm -hmm. ready to, you know, give generously. Sure. So to kind of move this conversation into something that they can relate to, what about the functionality within Arcos? So let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about how the team is built or how behaviors are centered mm -hmm. around how you work together to accomplish this mission because this mission clearly is founded in some place of generosity and love which i which i really really love 
Mm-hmm. How does that play out though? I find that a lot of times, again, with money in the picture and finance in the picture, the bottom line is often what we lead with. Mm-hmm. Do you find that to be a struggle or, or partly true? Or how do you approach it? I think there's, well, I don't, to be clear, I think you can be generous and still be wildly profitable. And, and that's what we're going for um, in terms of you can run a profitable business and still have generosity at its core. I don't think they have to, um, they, I don't think you have to choose between one or the other, but just to rewind a little bit. So our, our vision um, is to build and scale the ideal God honoring wealth management company, but our mission is to help families thrive across generations by connecting their money uh, with their purpose. And what we have found um is the advisors that have joined us, the growth, the employees, the staff that we have, a lot of times, and this is true for me as well, um, the reason they come is because they resonate with the vision. And there's this all in yes, culturally with that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of building something um, in in that vein of that vision, helping families in this way with more intentionality, be able to bring um, a, a more fullness to the clients that I serve. And so the vision itself, we find um is a dividing line. And so it it attracts the right people. But when people hear that, if there's no resonance, they're probably not going to be happy here. So it makes it really quick to move on um, in terms of the the next person. And so uh, I have found consistently that having that huge vision and alignment with that vision, I think it helps all of us check our egos at the door, um, right? Because especially in a small startup, um, where we're all creating and everybody, you're spaghetti on the wall sometimes of which ideas are going to work and trying different things. And uh, we all have our babies, those things that we really want to see make it. And we want to pool firm resources to go after this initiative. And this is why it's going to change the world. But at the end of the day, it's not about my name or even our principal's name. Um, and it's not about what I want. It's it's what's best for moving the whole firm uh, towards that vision that's bigger than any one of us. And so um, I think having that God-sized vision, that huge, holy, audacious goal, um, it it encourages and empowers bringing our full strength, but then also aligning whenever a decision's been made. Well, now it's about helping the team win versus, you know, pouting because I didn't get get what I, what I thought I wanted. So do you find that to be something that the mission itself drives naturally, or do you have to actively work within you know your team mm-hmm. to actually maintain that momentum? The mission and the vision, because like I said, they're integral to why most people, their why for joining, at least part of that is the mission and the vision. And so it's very sticky. It's not just something we kind of throw up on the wall with, you know, bunch of letters on the wall. Um, it's it's the reason that they join. So it's very sticky. What we work towards, and I think the working out of that looks like building and maintaining trust, right? Effective communication. Um, how, how does it look to have conflict and resolution? So those are kind of the nuts and bolts, if you will, of, okay, we're in this together. We're not quitting on each other. That keeps us sticky, but you still have to work it out, right? It's not all peaches and roses because you still have to, to work with one another to have that effective team. Because if you're not, if, if people don't have permission to challenge, you just have a yes culture. But then if you have um, people who are challenging without yielding, well, now you just have a bunch of uh, 
rogue <laughs> employees who are trying to build their own thing within the, the greater firm. And so what does that challenge and effective challenge culture look like? And I think um, I think we've we've done a, a decent job of trying to encourage that um, and, and keep that in alignment with, again, the, the long term vision. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and that's great. I think it's always paramount to center everyone around a mission and vision. It sounds mm -hmm. like you have that box checked. And I think what I've seen in especially nonprofits, but really any mission or passion driven organization is that everyone joins with for the right reasons. Everybody mm -hmm. shares a, an outcome. A lot of times that outcome is to, you know, serve externally to accomplish mm -hmm. some mission out in the world, do something good, mm -hmm. do something great. And a lot of times as humans, I've seen that very purpose blind us to mm -hmm. how we serve each other within the organization. Mm -hmm. I've seen nonprofits that want to help the homeless and help the hungry and all these things so adamantly push and mm -hmm. just every person in there is fighting uh, for that outcome. And But what ends up happening sometimes is they, they're mm -hmm. fighting each other because yeah. they get in each other's way and you know we're human we mm -hmm. we have limited resources we have limited time and those conversations can get can get touchy so i mentioned you mentioned conflict how does your culture address conflict or how does how do you push through that with such a passionate mm -hmm. mission driven organization <laughs> and very uh and very passionate employees too so <laughs> We're all pretty uh, verbal, outspoken, and passionate about what we bring to the table. So uh, one thing that impressed me when I joined, um, and we were probably a third of the size we are now, uh, Several when I joined about five, five and a half years ago, um, Jeff, who started the company uh, and the team he was building, he hits everything head on, and he set an example for we're just going to get it out in the open. And so if there's an issue, we're going to talk about it now, we're going to deal with it now, and we're going to get it to a resolution rather than letting it fester. Um, but he also encouraged uh, communication on those fronts. And so if there was a place where I felt disrespected or I felt not heard, or um, if we had a situation where it was pretty heated because we were both really passionate or a group of us were really passionate um, and it crossed a line, we dealt with it in the moment versus uh, trying to ignore it and push it down or letting it fester for a long time so that it could explode. And so there was, a, I think, an example set from the top down, which is really key organizationally, um, I, I believe. And you probably know better with the interviews that you have. But from top, from, from top down, there was this uh, invitation to be honest about what happened, deal with it and move forward. So you mentioned that from the top down, you're in encouraging these conversations and I guess tough feedback and, and really being honest in these moments. Can you help paint that picture? What is, what does that actually look like mm -hmm. in a room or in a, in a context of like mm -hmm. when you say, I think it's easy to say, Hey, this leader encourage, like we can always just mm -hmm. verbally say, Hey, I want everyone to be honest. I want everyone to, to speak up. Mm -hmm. But in practice, it, it doesn't always happen because there there are power dynamics, there are mm -hmm. egos, there are, you know, eggshells mm -hmm. to walk on when things are getting a little dicey. So mm -hmm. what is that, when you say that, what does that look like to, to see that leader mm -hmm. encourage that mm -hmm. conflict or, or a conversation? In the early days when we were smaller um, and mostly local to Houston, it looked like 
in a boardroom together and everyone brings their best idea and their best argument for why that should idea should happen. And we hash it out together. Um, and we go for it until there's a decision made, right? And that's kind of what I talked about where we check our egos out the door. Once there's a decision made, if we're not running with, with your idea, then you support the team and you go all in on, on the idea that was chosen. Now that we've grown a little bit more, we have satellite offices or people in, uh, across the nation that work either remotely or with a team that are outside of, of Houston, the kind of home office, um, it looks more like we've, we've set up committees. So business development and our advisors and, um, our marketing group. So each group has a voice within these different committees. So those committees can then hash out, bring their best ideas to the table. But then if it doesn't make sense across all of the firm, um, then we can kind of work, work out some things within the committee, but then we can talk between uh, using kind of those lanes, if you will. And so that's as we started growing kind of how we've tested ideas um, since there's a little bit more structure than what we had when we were just all in one room and we could hash it out, um, which is, you know, I think can sometimes be easier. And then once you start growing, there's a little bit of strain on that. So you want to make sure that there's permission across the board for people's ideas to rise to the surface from anywhere in the company and be vetted and brought to the table um, and then have those conversations to see what really does make the most sense. And so we do a lot of seeking feedback from one another because we each carry such a unique lens. Um, and so really looking for, hey, I think this is a great idea. What What's your feedback? And then tweak and, and go forward from there. Um, so encouraging feedback is another uh, a big part of our culture that we want to multiply. Is there an element of this theme of generosity internally at Arcos as well? How does that how does that play out? Yeah, so two things that attracted me. One was the mission and the vision, but the second, um, there's one owner at the company, Jeff, and uh, he made the decision. Uh, he has a life of what some would call radical generosity. And so he made the decision that he's going to give the company away. And so what that looks like is essentially every year, 10% of the company goes into what's called a, a donor advice fund. Um, he's not giving away operational control, um, but there's never going to be a sale at the end where Jeff gets a bunch of money and maybe he throws some out to the other people who help build the company. Um, if the company's ever sold, all the money goes into this donor advised fund, basically a big giving fund. Um, so a lot of people have a lot of fun giving it away, but it's not going to line his pockets. And um, I was at a, a different company before and uh, essentially one of the partners in his exuberance at this other company uh, was so excited that he was a partner and he looked out across the room of staff and he said, and all you people work for me now. And it was just the most deflating. Wow, I really am just here lining your seven figure pockets, you know. And uh, when I made my way here to Arcos and I heard that story of how his plan is to give the company away and he's serious about it, he's moving into the foundation. It I did not realize how impactful that would be because it removed this um, I, what I did not realize was a ceiling because even though I, you know, have a boss, the empowerment that that created to know he is serious about 
this mission and this vision. And he really isn't just saying something to build a company so that he can have a really you know sweet yacht one day. Um, he's really serious about what he says he wants to build here and about this mission of helping families. And because of that, um, he has a lot of authority when he talks to other business owners and he talks to families about their generosity. The story alone gives you a ton of credibility because uh, he's, he's living and walking out his talk. And so that's what uh, one of the things we have 12 principles that we use to really steward and coach our families and we always eat our own cooking. And so we want to be living those principles before we're speaking them to others um, so that we are walking walking the talk, if you will. So yes, absolutely, that story of generosity. Um, so now as a firm, you know, we're helping fund a pregnancy center in El Salvador to help uh, women, no matter how they got pregnant, to, to keep their babies and, and to, you know, have a healthy, raise their babies in a healthy area. And so that's an offshoot of the, the fact that he's giving the company away. So now that the whole firm has that story of generosity that we can actually fly down and be a part of. So it, as you can see, perpetuates across the culture of the firm. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of parallels because as I try to relate to it myself, right, I'm not mm -hmm. extremely wealthy and, and able to, <laughs> to participate in your services, but also I'm not a business owner. I don't have, you know, mm -hmm. so much to give away. But what I'm drawing as a connection is that the element of generosity is valuable at all levels. Yeah. And I think everybody has a means <laughs> to be generous. Mm -hmm. And being generous within your means goes a very long way. As, as leaders, especially, we have the opportunity to give our time mm -hmm. and our energy and our limited resources, how, whatever they might look like, to not, not as a show, but as, as kind of living proof that we, we care and that we put mm -hmm. our, our money where our mouth is. And I think there's mm -hmm. something really powerful about following that type of leader, right? There's something... Mm -hmm like you mentioned, empowering and freeing to know that this person's mission isn't to just mm -hmm. get every last drop of work out of you and mm -hmm. make every last dollar they can, but also mm -hmm. they're, they're aligned to something bigger than themselves. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really enlightening to, to follow, I think, yeah. as a, as a follower. Mm -hmm. Very inspiring. Um, some of the most joyful people I meet just across the spectrum with, uh, the families I serve in, in wealth management, they're not necessarily the wealthiest. A lot of times they're the most grateful. I see that a lot. Um, and then the most generous. And a lot of times those go hand in hand. Um, and the people who are giving their money away and they're using their words for gratitude, there's this confidence they have that despite what's going on and there's a steadiness and there's a joy um, and there's an outward focus to them and it's it makes them incredibly attractive. They're my favorite clients to serve because um, yeah. you just want to be around them. You know, they just they ooze joy, they ooze generosity and 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 compassion, and and it's very attractive qualities. Yeah, and it, it goes a long way for trust as well. Yes, I think when you come from that perspective and knowing that somebody's in that kind of state of generosity, you naturally give people more of the benefit of the doubt. I. I feel like as humans, we tend to fill in blanks in our stories with mm -hmm. uh, more negative assumptions about mm -hmm. people, that they're doing it for their own self gain, that they're out to mm -hmm. get you and things like that, which mm -hmm. we all feel at times. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that generosity goes a long way. Again, mm -hmm. applying it to leadership in general mm -hmm. feels like it's a really important element um, and genuine generosity, right? Not. Mm -hmm 
not the showmanship of generosity, mm -hmm. but genuinely finding something you care about and, and being generous towards it. Mm -hmm. It feels like it makes trust a lot easier as well. And it lends itself um, to an empowerment culture because when you discover giving away money, giving away power, I think is you have a grid and a rail for doing that. And so that's something I found being here. Um, there's definitely the encourage to, we're, we're encouraged to fail Right. Because if you fail, you've tried something and you discovered it didn't. How many times did Edison fail before he invented the light bulb? Right. Classic example. Um, and so failures encouraged, but then also were encouraged in this business An advisor is taught you, you, you get your 100, 150 clients and you never give them away because that's your, you know, you're living off of those clients and, and what they're paying you for your services and you never give them away. But what we're encouraging advisors to do is if you want to grow beyond where you are today, you have to multiply yourself. And the way you do that is to give power away and trust those clients to another, another individual who's going to serve them probably even better than you do because they're going to devote more time, more attention. It, it, it's fresh to them, exciting. And then that gives you an increase of time and capacity to go where God's calling you to go and to serve the clients only you can serve. Um, but the only way to do that is to trust, to your point, Jeff, to trust and to give up some of that power um, and to see what happens when you're willing to put someone else in the driver's seat and to take that risk. Um, and, and all of this generosity, giving power away, giving money away, it requires risk, uh, and, and the element of being willing to have faith in someone or something other than yourself. And that is of course, easy to preach about and a lot harder to do when push comes to shove, uh, because sometimes we, we like to think that we know best and we know how to do it best. And Jerry does it differently than me. And so how could I trust Jerry to do it? But maybe, Jerry's going to do it even better than you could have ever dreamed if you would give him a shot. Um, and so you want to obviously attract trustworthy people, but but taking that risk, I think, will be richly rewarded, especially for the, the leaders and, and the business owners. Um, taking that risk could just be the difference between where you are and that growth goal that you have, because if you're stretched to your limit, right, then something has to give. And, and sometimes that element of trust allows you to increase your capacity in ways that you didn't even realize. And, and once you get started, I think you'll find it's, it's a little bit addicting. <laughs> well said. And I think this is such an awesome conversation to add to the overall conversation we have here at Love as a Business Strategy. We don't, I guess, use the word generosity often in our, in our learnings. And I think it's such an, an amazing and simple mm -hmm but important component that can really complement all the other mindsets and behaviors that we're constantly seeking. And this, this element of generosity that you've shared today is, is really eye-opening. I think there, there's something for everybody to go back and think about where their kind of passion lies outside themselves and where they can be more generous for those around them in, in their missions so that you know, it, 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 it just makes everything a lot easier as we've talked about. So thank you so much for your time and, uh, you know, stepping away from the busy life of a, of a new mother to join us mm -hmm. to have this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. And to the audience, we appreciate you as well. Thank you as always for tuning in and we hope you're enjoying all the episodes and checking out our book, Love is a Business Strategy, if you haven't. Um, if you haven't already, please also subscribe and rate the podcast when you get a chance. And 
We will talk to everybody next week. Thank you so much. Bye.